Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. My name is Ronnie Taylor. I am uh, the pastor here. Welcome to those uh, joining us online. It is so good with you to be with you in person um, and online this morning. But last year, preaching to a computer on Easter morning, I think, was one of the lows of the COVID quarantine. So I'm just uh, so grateful that we were able to gather and celebrate the risen Savior this morning. And the resurrection, it's so important because the resurrection is the linchpin of our faith, and it changes everything about our lives. The grave could not hold Jesus. Death didn't have victory over him, and in him, his life and victory is available to all that follow him. A risen Savior, an empty tomb, changed the world, and it still changes our lives today. Jesus conquered the grave, and we can say to death, where, oh, where is your sting? Max Licato uh, wrote a book uh, entitled Six Hours One Friday. In that book, he tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who met a tribe deep in the remote jungle. The tribe lived near a large river, and they were in need of medical attention. A contagious disease had broken out in the tribe, and it was ravaging the population. Members of the tribe were dying daily. So he was trying to get them medical help. And there was a hospital within walking distance, but it required the tribe to cross this large river. But the issue was the tribe believed that the river was inhabited by evil spirits, and they believed to enter the river's waters would mean immediate and certain death. The missionary tried to explain to them how he had crossed the river to get them to them, and he was unharmed, but they were unimpressed. He took them to the bank, and he placed his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in. He walked in up to his waist, and he splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still too afraid to enter and cross the river. Finally, Lucado says, this missionary dove into the river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. He then raised the triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water, and he'd escaped. He said it was then that the tribe broke into a cheer, and it then followed him across. That's the resurrection for us. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he said he was. The resurrection is proof that Jesus was the Son of God. The resurrection is proof that there is victory over death in Jesus. The resurrection is our reason that we don't have to fear death, but we can find our hope and security in the promise of eternal life with Jesus. Every other religion, every other ideology, every other political theory places their hope in the teachings of men and women that have died or one day will die. We place our faith in a living Savior that has conquered the grave. But before we get to the resurrection, we have to pause for a second. We have to rewind to Friday where Jesus gave his life on a cross for the sins of the world. We've been talking about it for the last four or five weeks if you've been with us. But Jesus headed to Jerusalem with this purpose of laying down his life for the sins of the world. Laying down his life for you and me. Jesus' death was not due to a series of unfortunate events, but Jesus' death was God's will for his life. And it was him willingly and knowingly laying down his life for you and for me. Jesus died the death that my sin deserved. He suffered the wrath that my sin deserved. He took the consequence my sin deserved because he so loves me. And he did the same thing for you. His sacrifice paves the way for the resurrection and our hope. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He did everything he was called to do. But on that Friday, he was killed on a criminal's cross for the sins of the world. And not only is he killed for the sins of the world in, in the abstract, but he is killed intimately for your sins and my sins. My sin, your sin, the sins of the world put Jesus in the grave. He died not of natural causes because his time was done, but he died to pay the wage, the price, 
the death that your sin and my sin deserves. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned or done things that go against God's perfection, and the wage or the price for those sins is death and separation from God. The Bible says there's no way we can earn our way back to God. There's no way we can do enough good things to outweigh the bad. We are utterly hopeless to earn our way to heaven in a relationship with God. That is until Jesus comes. John 3.16 tells us that God sent Jesus to live the sinless life, to live the perfect life, and then to take the death that we deserve so that if we believe in him, we will be forgiven through his death and inherit eternal life with God. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ willingly went to the cross to die for your sins, to pay the penalty that you deserve so that you could be forgiven through his sacrifice. He goes to the cross where we are hopeless. He gives his life on our behalf. He takes the punishment we deserve. And it's through his death and his resurrection that he would offer life to all that will follow him. His death and resurrection are the means to which forgiveness and eternal life is available to all that will humble themselves and follow him. But Jesus' death without a resurrection is not a hope-filled event. Now, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history. We have the gospel accounts. We have a pile of historical evidence that informs us that Sunday and the resurrection is coming. The disciples and the rest of the people at the cross that Friday night, they didn't understand that Sunday was coming. Yes, Jesus had told them he would rise again victorious over death on the third day, but they didn't understand. We'll see that lack of hope in a, in a second as we read. But the, the women, they don't head to the tomb on that Sunday morning in order to check for a living Jesus. They head to the tomb to honor him and anoint his body with perfume and prepare it for burial. They go to mourn the death of the one that they loved. And so for those that love Jesus, his death on Friday was a, a day of incredible sadness, of hopelessness and fear. His death led them to mourn. It led them to flee the city, and it led them to hide behind locked doors as they processed the events that unfolded, and they feared for their lives. Jesus' death without a resurrection was a day of disappointment, hopelessness, fear, and questioning for his followers. But Sunday morning comes, the resurrection comes, and it changes everything for them, and it changes everything for us. So we're going to read the account of the resurrection beginning in Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 62. It reads, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection and the life that is available in you. We thank you that we can have hope and that we can have joy and that we can have life in this world. God, I pray that as we study and celebrate the resurrection this morning, that you would just remind us of who you are and that you would fill our lives with joy, the joy and hope that is in you alone. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you might just reveal to them your truth and your love for them, and they might leave changed as followers of you, recipients of the grace and love and salvation available in you and through the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we celebrate you today. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So as we celebrate and look at the resurrection this morning, I want to take time to look at, at five different things that the resurrection promises and it proclaims over our lives. In the book of John, John begins his account of Jesus' life with this statement. He says, in him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that verse. Jesus is the light of all mankind. His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, and it will not overcome it. Throughout John's account of Jesus, he uses this imagery of light. Jesus in John 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And then in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Throughout Jesus' teaching and his ministry, he declares that he is the light of the world. And in him there is light and victory over darkness available to all. The resurrection is the ultimate picture that light triumphs over the darkness. On Friday when Jesus died, it seemed as though the darkness had prevailed. That the darkness had prevailed over the light once and for all. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus died, darkness, literal darkness, fell across the land. Spiritually and emotionally for his followers, it had to have felt the same. It had to have felt Friday night, Saturday, and throughout Saturday night that the darkness had won. That evil had prevailed. That Satan was victorious. We just sang the song, Death Was Arrested, in the fourth verse. It, it, it paints this picture. It says, Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. That's how Jesus' death felt. That's how it had to have seen that the darkness had won. But then the song and the resurrection declares, but then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. So our first point is the resurrection declares to us and it proclaims to us that the light, that, that Jesus triumphs over the darkness. I love how Matthew uses that imagery here. His story of the resurrection, it says it begins at dawn, at daybreak. It begins at that beautiful time of the day when the light and all of its warmth and all of its life breaks through the darkness. As I came over to church this morning, it was right as the sun rose, and it was a beautiful sunrise of orange and pink, and it was a reminder of the light triumphing over the darkness. Matthew says, after the Sabbath at dawn or at daybreak, the ladies went to look at the tomb. I love the imagery. On Saturday night, these ladies went to bed in the darkness believing that the darkness had prevailed. They likely tossed and turned that night as they prepared to go and care for the body of their friend and leader. Things felt hopeless. 
Yet then at daybreak, just as the light overtook the darkness on that Sunday morning, they arrived at the tomb. And what did they find? They found an empty tomb. They found an angel with the appearance of lightning clothed and clothed as white as snow, and their Savior was alive and well. The resurrection is a reminder, a declaration that the light always triumphs over the darkness. It's a reminder that Jesus always prevails over evil, and if we are in him, then we too have victory over the enemy and over darkness. In Jesus, there is light, and the darkness has not, and it will not overcome it. So when life feels too overwhelming, when it feels like we are defeated, when it feels like the darkness has prevailed, the resurrection is that reminder that there is always hope. There is always a daybreak coming and that Jesus is victorious. For the follower of Jesus, no matter how dark the night may seem to you right now, no matter how, how dark the world might seem, you can know with confidence that the light triumphs over the darkness. The second thing the resurrection declares to us is hope in the midst of despair. The resurrection declares hope in the midst of despair. Now, Jesus, in the Bible, and the Gospels, they don't promise that life is going to be easy. They don't promise that it's going to be comfortable, that it'll be safe, that it'll be free of trials and suffering. In fact, Jesus promises the opposite. The Bible doesn't promise health and wealth, but instead that life on, on earth here will be difficult. It will be painful. It promises that we will face persecution and trials in this life and that we will experience sadness and grace. But the resurrection proclaims over all of that that Jesus is greater than this life, that he is greater than our hearts, that he is our source of life and of hope, and that, that hope is eternal in this temporal world. I love what Peter says about the resurrection and the promise of hope. If you know anything about Peter, he was known to kind of ride the wave of his emotions. And after the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter ran for his life. He denied Jesus whom he loved. Peter found himself in the pit of despair. Yet after the resurrection and his restoration in Jesus, he would write this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the resurrection, Peter tells us we have been given new life. We have been given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. We've been given an eternity in heaven with our creator, sustainer, and God. Peter tells us we don't even hope as the rest of the world hopes. But we have a living hope because we worship a living and resurrected Savior. And because our Savior lives, Peter tells us we will face trials in this world. We will face despair in this world. Yet even in the midst of trial, we can greatly rejoice because we know our Savior lives. Our eternity is secure. And we have a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus over your struggles and over your hurts this morning. It proclaims something better than this world. Billy Graham wrote of the hope of the resurrection. He says the resurrection of Christ brings hope. The late Emil Brunner once said, what oxygen is to the lungs such as hope for the meaning of human life. As the human organism is dependent on a supply of oxygen, so humanity is dependent on its supply of hope. 
said, yet today hopelessness and despair are everywhere. But, the, but in the resurrection, there is hope that mistakes and sins can be forgiven. There is hope that we can have joy, peace, assurance, and security in the midst of the despair of this age. There is hope that Jesus is coming soon. There is hope that there will someday be a new heaven and a new earth and that the kingdom of God will reign in Christ. Our hope is not in our own ability. Our hope is not in our own goodness. Our hope is not in our physical strength. But our hope is instilled in us by the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection reminds us of our hope in the midst of despair. The resurrection gives us hope in the midst of despair. The next thing I want us to see is that the resurrection provides joy. It provides joy in this life. The women approach the tomb to mourn and to anoint the body of their friend and leader, Jesus, who they knew to be dead. But when they arrived at the tomb, they were met with an angel who proclaimed that Jesus was alive. Verse 8 tells us the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, other versions say, in awe, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Because of the resurrection, their mourning and their sadness was turned to joy. Because Jesus was alive, their mourning, their sadness, their disappointment, their hurt, their abandonment was turned to joy because their Savior lived. And because Jesus lived, our lives, our sadness, our hurts can be turned to joy in the resurrection. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus loves you so much he gave his life for you. And if you repent and follow him, you will Inherit his righteousness, his sinlessness, his eternal life. The God of the universe, the the creator of the world loves you so much that he offers you his life. That truth not only provides hope but joy to our lives. If you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you remember that feeling when you first understood who Jesus was. When you first understood that he loved you. That he had given his life for you and that he had forgiven you. Do you remember that time in your life? For me, I was a second or third grader. And I'd heard the stories of Jesus a hundred times. But there was this moment that I didn't just hear the story as a piece of literature. But I recognized the significance of who Jesus was and what he did for my life. I recognized that I had sinned a lot in my life. That I had done things that went against God. And I recognized that the sin in my life was a problem. And that it was keeping me from God. And it meant that if I died, I would go to hell apart from him. In many ways, that was a troubling and a depressing realization. But fortunately for me, my mom didn't shut the Bible that night, but she kept on reading. And she went on to tell me about how Jesus died and paid the price for my sins. And how he rose victorious over death. And that if I repented, my sins would be forgiven. So I prayed that night, and I I gave my life to follow Jesus. And as an eight-year-old boy, I didn't didn't understand the nuances of my faith. I didn't have the books of the Bible memorized. I didn't have my theology sorted out. But what I understood was that Jesus died for my sins, and that he had risen from the grave, and that changed everything. I remember as a little boy, I, I was in awe that the God of this world loved me. Not only that he knew me, but he loved me. And I was filled with a joy that you couldn't hold down. Most of the time I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was telling all my friends about Jesus and how he had changed my life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you remember that that moment, that feeling, that joy? And if so, do you still live in that kind of joy? Is your life defined by that kind of joy? Is your joy evident to those around you? 
Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes in the, just the grind of everyday life, my joy is robbed by my fears, by my burdens, by my worries, by my insecurities, and the demands of this life. This Easter, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you spend some time just contemplating that reality that Jesus loves you? Contemplating his sacrifice, the victory that he accomplished over the grave that he has given you. Would you spend some time just celebrating Jesus and his, and his, and his life and the life that he has given you? And as you do that, my prayer is that God would rekindle your love for Jesus. That you would experience afresh the joy you felt that first day that you understood and experienced the resurrection. My prayer is that you would fan that to flames and that, that joy would become a defining trademark of your life and the life of our church. Christ has risen. Death has been defeated. We are forgiven. We have victory in him. What do we not have to be grateful and joyful about? Yes, as Peter says, trials will come. Hard days will come. But even in that, Peter says, we can greatly rejoice because we have a living hope in Jesus through the resurrection. When the women first experienced the resurrection, they were filled with awe and joy. May we be reminded and experience that daily. And then if you're here today and you have never followed Jesus in your life, perhaps today is the day that you experience his forgiveness, his resurrection, and his joy for the first time. And that leads us to our next point, and that is that the resurrection gives us victory over death. The resurrection assures us of victory over death. We quoted it once, but the late Billy Graham said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. It is only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that we can experience this kind of confidence even in death. Jesus promises that if we believe in him, we will inherit eternal life with him. The gospels promise it and then the resurrection seals it. Paul in Romans 6 writes, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ died and he pays the price for the sins of all who believe in him. So if you are his followers, he has died for your sins. He has paid the price for your sins and they are forgiven. And in his resurrection, which we celebrate today, he has defeated death and it no longer has mastery over him. And if you are in him, it no longer has mastery over you. Back in John 11, Jesus is talking to, to Martha. And he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. And he asks her this question. He says, do you believe this? And that question just kind of hangs there for you and me to answer. Jesus says he is the resurrection and he is the life. And, and, and he asks, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Have you trusted your life to Jesus? A few weeks ago, I traveled uh, back to Texas to speak and celebrate the life of my great aunt through a memorial service. Uh, Mary Alice Hogue was 97 years old when she died. And she was the most devoted prayer warrior that Living Hope Church has ever known. She loved Jesus and the life he had given her, and she faithfully prayed, served, and gave of her life for him. There was no question as to where she had staked her faith. Her faith was fully staked on Jesus and his resurrection. 
And so as we celebrated her life, there were many tears as we grieved that we would no longer see or hear from Mary Alice. It makes me sad that I no longer get her letters or her phone calls. But there was an assurance and a peace at that service and a confidence that she was not dead in the grave, but that she was most assuredly alive in Christ. The resurrection assures us that those that have placed their faith in him are not dead when they breathe their last breath. But they are most assuredly alive in that moment with Christ. It's this kind of confidence that allowed Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is your sting, death? Jesus' resurrection assures us that we have victory in him, even over death. The worst thing this world can throw at us is death, yet even in death, we have victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God that we have victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection declares for the follower of Jesus that light always triumphs over the darkness. That we can have eternal hope in the midst of despair. That we can have a living hope in this life that is greater than our circumstances. And that in Jesus there is victory over death. The resurrection is that key thing that all of our faith hangs on. It provides hope for the believer in all circumstances. And the hope of Jesus is offered to all that will repent and follow after him. To all, he offers his life, his hope, his forgiveness. All you must do is repent and follow after him. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, it is this message of hope to a lost and dying world that he calls you to proclaim. You see, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection not only saves us, but it becomes our mission and our purpose in this life. And that's our final point. The resurrection gives my life an eternal purpose. We read in, the, in that section, we read that Jesus tells Mary, the Marys to go get the disciples and to meet him in Galilee. And when he meets them, this is his message to the disciples. It says, then Jesus came to them and said this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we in the church, we call this the Great Commission. This is why Jesus came to earth. John 3, 16 and 17 tells us that Jesus came to give his life so that the world might be saved through him. It tells us he didn't come to condemn the world but to save it. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus that he came and he lived a sinless life, that he died for the sins of the world and now he lives. And he tells the disciples and he tells us this message of hope is for all nations. It's for every man, woman and child on earth. To now go and proclaim that hope. This is his focus, his mission, his purpose. And it becomes our purpose and mission as followers of Jesus as well. The disciples who heard this from Jesus would give their lives to the mission of seeing the good news of Jesus spread to the nations. And aren't we thankful we, they did? Because we are the ends of the earth. We are those distant nations when this command was given. These first apostles endured all kinds of suffering, deprivation, and persecution so that we may know Jesus today. As followers of Jesus, the resurrection declares to us that this is now our mission, our purpose, our responsibility. This is the call in our lives. We, each and every Christian as an individual and as a collective, are tasked with the mission of making Jesus known here in our city, across our region, and to the nations. 
God has blessed us all with different passions, talents, giftings, occupations, resources, hobbies, and so on. And those are all great things that God is using to place us in strategic locations to not only be great employees, great leaders, and friends, but he is calling us to be bearers and proclaimers of his good news all over our community and to the world. The resurrection gives our life a purpose and a mission that has eternal implications. The resurrection we celebrate today changes everything. Our Savior, Jesus, is living. He has conquered the grave. The resurrection gives light in the midst of the darkness, hope in the midst of despair, joy in this life, victory over death. And the resurrection provides the mission, the purpose, and it is the heartbeat of our lives. So what are you doing with the resurrection? Do you believe the resurrection happened? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Have you allowed the resurrection and the Great Commission to define and transform your life? One of the things I love about the Gospels is that in every account of the resurrection, the tomb is empty and the stone is rolled away. The fascinating thing about that is that the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could walk out. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus, was, after he was raised from the dead, wasn't bound by the physical. In the book of Acts, he walks through walls. Jesus could have walked out even if the stone was there. But I think that stone was rolled away so that we could come and look in and see for ourselves that Jesus was indeed alive. That rolled away stone is an invitation for you and me to investigate and to experience the resurrection ourselves. You see, the beauty of Christianity and the resurrection is that it isn't built upon a myth. And it invites you to come and to see and to investigate its truth for yourself. For 2,000 years, people have tried to disprove Jesus and the resurrection. But the truth stands the test of time. So if you don't believe in Jesus, today the invitation for you is just to come and to see, to come and investigate Jesus for yourself. Dr. Thomas Arnold, the professor of modern history at Oxford University, and he wrote the widely acclaimed three-volume history of Rome, said this. He said, the evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been shown to be satisfactory according to the standards of any historian. It holds up according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Tens of thousands of people have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as any judge reviewing the most important case. I myself have done this many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. Throughout my life, I've made a career of studying the histories of times and events, examining and weighing the evidence for what was written about each of them. And he said, I know of no other one fact in history which is proved by better and fuller evidence than this one, that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. Lee Strobel said of the resurrection, he said, I used to consider the resurrection to be a laughable fairy tale. After all, Yale Law School had trained me to be coldly rational. And my years of sniffing for news at the Chicago Tribune had only toughened my naturally cynical personality. But intrigued by the changes in my wife after seeing her become a Christian, I spent nearly two years systematically using my journalistic and legal experience to study, uh, to study the evidence for the resurrection and the credibility of Jesus' claims to be God. I set out to disprove the resurrection, but I emerged totally convinced, and I gave my life to Jesus. If you don't believe that the res in the resurrection, would you investigate it for yourself? 
Would you not just laugh it off and put it off for another day, but would you begin the process of discovering who Jesus is and whether the resurrection is true for yourself? Because if it is indeed true, the Bible tells us it has eternal implications. And maybe you're here today and for the first time you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And you believe that the resurrection is indeed true. Would you today surrender your life and follow him? We talked about at the beginning, but your sin separates you from God and eternity with him. Your sin deserves the consequences of death. But Jesus took that consequence and he paid the price for your sin when he died despite living a sinless life. But as we've talked about, he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose victorious over death. And the Bible is clear that if you believe that to be true, if you repent and you turn from your sins and you follow after Jesus, he will forgive you. And he promises you an eternity in heaven with him. He promises you a joy and a purpose here in this life. So if that's you, would you surrender your life and follow him today? You can do that quite simply in your seat by praying and repenting of your sin, acknowledging your belief in Jesus and surrendering your life and following him. If you'd like to talk to someone, would you come and talk with me or someone you know that is a follower of Jesus? It would be our honor to answer your questions and walk alongside you in that decision. And then finally, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, how is the resurrection changing your life? Is the resurrection your joy, your light, your victory, your hope? Does it provide the purpose and mission of your life? This Easter, I I would just encourage you as a follower of Jesus to take some time and reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And in that, choose to live in the hope and the joy that he offers in this life. And seek each day to fulfill his purpose and his calling for you. I'm going to pray for us. If you have questions or would like to respond anyway, you can come talk with me. After I pray, the worship team will lead us um, in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the resurrection. We thank you that we can celebrate a, a Savior that is not in the grave, but that is alive. Lord, we thank you that you have victory over death, and that in you, you offer life, and eternal life, and abundant life to any and all that will follow you. God, I pray for anyone here that that might have questions, and they might not buy into whether this could possibly be true. God, I pray that you would just give them the courage to investigate and to discover the resurrection, to discover Jesus for themselves. Pray that you give them the courage to not just write it off as a myth, but that they too would take the time to investigate the resurrection and its implications in their life. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that, that for the first time has heard and they, they believe that you are who you said you were. They believe that the resurrection was true. They, and they believe its implications in their life and they're ready to follow you. God, I pray you won't let anything stop them, but you would give them the courage to follow you today. I pray that you would move in many hearts and minds, that you would open them to the truth of Jesus and the resurrection. You give them the boldness and the courage to follow you all in today. God, I pray for the many of us that have been followers of you for a long time. And maybe over that time, we have lost our joy and our hope in the midst of this world. God, I pray that you would remind us afresh, renew in us your joy, your life, your victory, your hope. That become our heartbeat, that become our reality. We would walk in and know and experience and show that joy and hope to those walking around us each and every day. 
And I pray that your mission, your purpose, will become the defining mission and purpose of our lives as we seek to tell you and share your hope with the world around us. Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for its many implications on our life, Lord. And we celebrate your victory today. It's your name we pray. Amen.